Well, hello, church. Good to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. We're continuing our series, This Changes Everything. And if you're a guest with us, you are here on a great day. We're going to talk about some fun stuff. Before we jump into that, a couple things we'll let you know about. First, don't forget uh, this Thursday and the next two after it, uh, we've got these young adult gatherings. I had somebody ask me last week, they said, I read somewhere it's for people in their, it's for 20s through early 30s. And I want to know if I qualify. I'm 36. Listen, we're not carding at the door, okay? If you think you're a young adult and you want help connected, just show up. I promise nobody's going to ask. I still say I'm 29. Everybody thinks I'm telling the truth. So nobody's going to notice, okay? That's not true. I don't say that, and it's not true. All right, but anyway, so, so come on down. Um, also, I want to let you know, super fun next week. You're going to want to bring a friend because it's going to be a wild time. It is student takeover next week. Our middle and high school students are taking over over our worship services upstairs and down. They're even preaching. It's going to be a hoot next week, so show up for that. We're going to have a good time. Uh, You won't want to miss that. And they, of course, will be continuing the series that we're working on today, This Changes Everything. Uh, The principle of the series is super simple. It's just, we're just reflecting on the reality that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a man alive, once dead, now alive again, that truth changes everything. It changes big things like the destiny for all people and, and the purpose of human life. And it changes little things like, you know, how you wake up in the morning, how do you go to sleep at night, and how you relate to your friends. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the fact that the resurrection of Jesus changes our posture toward the rest of the world. Now, of course, God's people, uh, our mission as God's people has always been a mission of blessing for the whole world. At the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Whoever, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's been the mission since the very beginning, that all people would be blessed through God's people. Yet, of course, what we know is that more often, God's people wound up enemies with their neighbors, fighting over land or fighting over religion or fighting over leadership. Or, or sometimes they, they, they became, if, if not enemies, they became debaters and arguing among themselves over who worshipped exactly right or what exactly we should believe about God. And so the posture toward others was more often enemy or argument than anything else. But the resurrection changes that. It invites us, as we continue the ongoing work of being a blessing to all people, again, that hasn't changed. God's people are still intended to be a blessing to all people. But as we continue that work, the resurrection invites us to a new posture toward others. It invites us into the posture of not enemy, but evangelist. The evangelist is one, though the word just means somebody who announces the good news. Think back in an old-fashioned village before you had a newspaper or the internet or the evening news, you would have had a town crier who walked through the streets telling everybody what had happened around town. That's the evangelist, except the thing that they announce is that the reign of Christ has begun. 
that the rulers of this world which seek to kill and destroy have now been overthrown in Jesus Christ who seeks to bless and to lead. We're invited to the posture of an evangelist rather than an enemy. And we're invited to adopt the posture of a witness rather than an argument. The posture of a witness, one who just says, I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just saying this is what I saw. This is my testimony. This is the truth that I know because I was there. This transition in posture, it begins even during Jesus' ministry. Uh, In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the twelve. Uh, He gathered them together. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. There it is, that announcement of the reign of Christ and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If the people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village. Look at this last phrase. This is a summary of the posture of the church. Went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Evangelism and blessing, announcement and love, bearing witness to the reign of Christ and doing as much good for as many people as you could along the way. This new posture uh, is so beautifully demonstrated in this odd little story. It's in John chapter 9. It's one of my favorite healing stories. I'm going to read a whole bunch of it. So if you want to grab your Bibles or get out, pull it up on your phone, you might want to. John chapter 9. It's just this funny little story about a healing. But what's really cool about it is the conversation that came after. Uh, John chapter 9 verse 1. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. That's a good reminder. When bad things happen to us, it is not necessarily punishment for sin. Sometimes bad things happen. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors uh, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? And some claimed it was. Others said, No, 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 it just looks like him. But he insisted, I'm the man. Well, how then, they asked, were your eyes opened? And he became a witness. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went And I washed, and I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Uh, So so they brought him to the Pharisees, this man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath day. And, And technically it's illegal to make mud on a Sabbath. 
Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how could a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. So they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How can he see now? And who opened it? I mean, how can he see now? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and, and, and he was born blind. Uh, but how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we got no idea. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who'd already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's all I got. I mean, you can get me to debate your philosophy if you want to. You can get me to argue about what we can and can't do on the Sabbath if you'd like. We can talk religion and all these other things, but the only thing I've got is I was blind this morning, and now I can see. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He says, I've told you that already. You didn't want to listen. Do you want to hear it again? I do. You want to become his disciples? They hurled insults at him. Said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. But he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of anyone opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I love this guy. He doesn't pick a fight. He doesn't go looking for an argument. He just tells what he knows. To anybody who asks, as often as needed, he gives his testimony. They want him to give an opinion about philosophy and is he a sinner or not? He's like, I don't know if he's a sinner. Man, I didn't get his life story. I didn't do a background check on him. I, all I know is I was blind and, and now I can see. That is what I no. And that is the change that the resurrection invites. The change to the posture of a witness. Who doesn't have to argue, doesn't have to convince, doesn't have to be right about everything, just gives testimony to what we've seen. And this shift in posture, it's not just implied by the Gospels. Jesus actually makes it very explicit 
in one of his last conversations after the resurrection. It was in last week's reading in Acts chapter 1. Next week's reading, by the way, is Acts chapter 2 through 6. But in last week's reading, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this. I'll start in the beginning of the book. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. See, he knew how central the resurrection was and how unexpected the resurrection was. So he took his time to make sure they would know he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked, as we've discussed before, this crazy dumb question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? As if that's what Jesus' ministry was about. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Good reminder for us, that is not our job. And if you see somebody making a big deal about predicting when Jesus is going to return, you can just say, that is not our job. And in the next verse, he tells us what our job is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in all the ends of the earth. You are going to have the power of the Holy Spirit so you can become the ones who testify about what they've seen. And this is exactly what we see happen. Paul describes his ministry this way. So it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Later, in a separate letter uh, to the Corinthians, he says that um, the content of his teaching was Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. Paul knew that the best thing he had to offer in his ministry was to bear witness to Jesus and to the resurrection. Uh, let's, let's be sure we're clear on what this means. What this means is that in light of the resurrection, our posture to the world is no longer one of enemy, but it is one of evangelists. We announce the reign of God that has defeated all other rulers of this world. It is no longer one of argument, but one of witness. We become experts at that line. I love this line that that guy, born blind, used. We've got to become experts at this. Well, I don't know about that, or that, or that, or this, or that question, or that latest book, or what some skeptic just said. I, I don't know about that. Here's what I know is that when I was in great need, I fell to my knees in prayer and God answered my prayer. I know that. Or here's what I know is that, that I studied the resurrection and I'm just convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the evidence is strong for it. 
Or, or here's what I know, when everyone else abandoned me, my church stood by me, and there's something going on in that place, and I want a part of it, and I'm not going to sacrifice it. I know that. See, that's the beauty of being a witness. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know what you know and, and, and tell about it. See, remembering that you're a witness uh, protects us from some things. It helps us realize we don't have to be the judge, right? So you see, if you're a witness in a courtroom, you can't also be a judge. That's got to be against the rules somehow, right? You can't be a witness and a judge. And we're the witness. The judge is the one who condemns. The judge is the one who passes sentence. But, but witnesses don't have to do that. And this changes the way that we engage in moral arguments with the world. I hear far too many Christians that engage in moral arguments with the world like they're the judge. That it's their job to condemn that behavior and condemn that behavior. And you're a bad person because you did that. And you're a bad person because you did that. And you're a bad... That is not what a witness does. It's not that we've abandoned morality, no. But what, we, what a witness does is a witness says this. In my life, what I've seen is that when I obey God's word and the path of life it lays out, I experience the blessing of God's favor. And when I reject God's word and I disobey God's word, I experience God's discipline. And that's just my testimony. Uh, my testimony is that, that God has a path in scripture and when I walk that path, I experience the blessing and favor of God. That's my testimony. So, so we, we don't abandon the morality of God's word. No, we speak to it powerfully and boldly, but we speak to it as a witness to the goodness of God's way rather than as a judge who's out there busy condemning everybody else. Another thing it means if you're a witness is that you're not the judge. You're also not the attorney. See, the attorney is responsible for convincing other people to agree with them. Maybe they've got to convince a jury to agree with them or convince a judge or convince a panel of judges. That's the attorney's job is to convince other people and to, to muster powerful arguments and organize the data and to prove why this is bad and this is good so other people have to agree with them. That is not a witness's job. A witness's job is to tell the truth that they know. I think some of us are afraid to be a witness because we thought we had to be an attorney. And we're like, well, what if I tell somebody and it doesn't convince them? What if it doesn't work? That's not your job. And, you know, it turns out the Bible tells us who the attorney is. The attorney is the Holy Spirit. It says he is our advocate. That's the name for an attorney. The Holy Spirit is the attorney. You are just the witness. And this, uh, just like remembering we're not the judge, changes the way we talk about morality. Remembering we're not the attorney changes the way we interact with people of other faiths or people of no faith or people maybe, maybe they grew up Christian but now they've abandoned their faith. If we think we are the attorney, then our job is sort of to muster our arguments and to prove them wrong and to, to prove our intellectual superiority. But if we're a witness... We can just engage them and say, well, tell me your story. What have you seen? What do you know? And then when, they, when the relationship is right, you get to tell them what you've seen. You can say, well, what I've seen is this. And boy, I, I get the doubt. I, I have doubt too. But I also do remember this one time in a period of great doubt, I asked some friends to pay for me and God did a miracle in my life that I just can't explain any other way. And uh, yeah, that's all I know. 
Or maybe they'll ask a question about Christianity, about your faith that you don't know the answer to. And that's when you're going to use that line you're going to see stole from the blind man. Well, I don't know anything about that. That's awesome. We should study that. I got no idea. What I do know is um, that when I turn my life over to Christ, instead of feeling guilty about all my sin, I experience the freedom of God's forgiveness. I know that. But that thing you asked about, I don't got nothing there. I don't know. Let's, let's, we should study that together. I've never heard of that before. That's a great question. And this is what a witness gets to do. A witness doesn't have to argue or convince. A witness just gives their testimony. Maybe you can testify to the trustworthiness of God's law. When I obeyed God's law, it led to blessing in my life. Or the presence of God's spirit in a time of great trial or temptation or suffering. Or about the evidence of Jesus' resurrection or the reliability of God's word or answered prayer. Here's the thing. You know how to do this already. Okay, when you go watch a movie you like, like you call three friends. Oh my goodness, I just got out of this movie. It was the coolest movie ever. You should go watch it. You don't call three friends because you read some review. Oh, by the way, Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up. You should, no, no. You call friends when it's your testimony, not when it's somebody else's. And your testimony is enough. Maybe, uh, here, think about what kind of witness you might be. Maybe you're an eyewitness, right? What, what is it you have seen about God's glory, goodness, or grace? Just think about that. What have you seen about God's glory, God's goodness, or grace? H- have you had a season of answered prayer in your life? Right after we moved here, my family experienced a season of a- answered prayer like nothing I've ever had in my entire life. I still tell people that story because it's, it's one of the most powerful testimonies I have to the reality of God in my life was this season of answered prayer we went through. Uh, have you seen the ministry of God's people? You know, have you seen that? God's people just surround you with care in a time of crisis? There's some people who would like to know about that. Do you experience a sense of purpose and meaning in your life that you just quite can't quite explain? I know lots of people desperate for stuff like that. Do you know the blessing of obeying God's word when you'd rather not? Can you, can you talk about how that's led you to blessing? Some people need that testimony. The other kind of witness, of course, is an expert witness. And we need expert witnesses for the faith too. This is where you've, you've stumbled upon a question that was crucial to your faith, and so you went and studied it. Uh, this happened to me uh, with the resurrection, actually. But maybe 15 years ago, I just realized that If I didn't know the evidence for the historicity of the resurrection, that I didn't have much of a faith left. And so I just went and began to study all the historical evidence for the resurrection because I needed to know. If Jesus rose from the dead, it all made sense to me. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, none of it made sense to me. And so I began to study it. And I came away with my faith so strengthened and now I've got, that's a piece of my testimony. Uh, this, this little piece of witness to the historicity of the resurrection. It's a story I have to tell now. Now there are some mistakes that witnesses have to avoid. We don't want to dwell on these too much. But we've got to be clear. Witnesses are required by the court to avoid hearsay. That's where you give somebody else's testimony as if it was your own. And God wants you to avoid hearsay too. I I think most of us do this when we worry that our testimony isn't enough. Like maybe we haven't seen big enough things or we don't have enough to tell. You just need to trust 
that the testimony, your friends would rather hear your testimony than hear about whatever the preacher said on Sunday. I promise you, I'm not that interesting. They'd much rather know about what God is doing in your life and how God is bringing you peace and bringing you joy and leading you toward faithfulness and helping you believe more. So don't do hearsay. Another great crime we must avoid, you can go to jail for this one. I don't think you go to jail for hearsay testimony. I think it just gets stricken from the record. But this next one, you can go to jail for this. That's perjury. That's where the witness lies. They say what they have not seen. And Christians, we do this sometimes. We give a testimony like this. If you'll just give your life to Christ, you'll never have any more problems in life. Well, that's just not true, is it? But people talk like that sometimes. And when somebody believes under perjury and then they find that it's not the case, that will shipwreck their faith. So don't you lie under oath, folks. You give the true testimony. Tell them you doubt sometimes, but God has met you in your doubt. You struggle sometimes, but God's people have comforted you in your struggle. Don't commit perjury. It will shipwreck someone's faith. There's another crime, though. And this is the one that concerns me the most. I've committed this crime. Um, They call it contempt of court. It's what happens when a witness has a testimony that is crucial to a trial. And an official of the court sends a subpoena to them, instructing them to be present so that they can testify. And they show up, maybe. But when the time comes, they don't speak. You can go to jail for it. I'm concerned about that crime. I'm concerned that many of us have a testimony to God's grace. We have a a witness of God's answered prayer. We have a story of God's faithfulness through struggle. We can declare the truth that God's people protected us in a time of chaos. And God is bringing us to the witness stand, giving us opportunities where that testimony would be useful and fruitful, where it would be a word of blessing in someone else's life. And we get to that moment and we have the testimony necessary for the moment. And we've been provided the moment by God's providence and we say nothing. Maybe it's because you thought you had to be a judge and you didn't want to be a judge. Or you thought you were supposed to be the attorney and you didn't know how to convince them. Or maybe you were just afraid. I don't know. But the command of Christ is super clear. In light of the resurrection, all pressure on us to be the judge is gone. Any requirement you might have felt to be the attorney to convince somebody else that they had to agree with you, that is past. All Christ calls us to do is to give testimony to his reign, to announce, to be evangelists, to be announcers of the reign of Christ, announcers of his resurrection, and to give testimony to that which we have seen. I got three simple questions for you. Number one, what is your testimony? Don't make something up. That's perjury. Don't tell me somebody else's testimony. That's hearsay. What's your testimony? What have you seen of the grace and goodness and glory of God? 
Have you been comforted by the presence of Christ in a time of crisis? Have you had God answered prayer in a way you can't explain any other way? Have you experienced the ministry of God's people surrounding you? Have you had hope in chaos or purpose in life or blessing in obedience or faithfulness in trial? What's your testimony? Second question is this. Who needs to hear it? Who do you know who is desperate for someone to say, I know that pain. I have been in that pain before and, and this is what God did for me. I don't know if that's what, I don't, I'm not saying you've got to agree with that or believe that. I'm just saying that's what happened to me. That's my testimony. That I can bear witness to the mercy of God. I've been crushed by my sin and guilt before. I, I have been in the seat you're in and God forgave my, my sin and God could do it for you too. That's my testimony. Number one, what's your testimony? Number two, who do you know who needs to hear it? And number three, how long are you going to wait before you tell them? Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent Christ to conquer the rulers of this world and to begin his reign to establish it through his resurrection and to invite us to bear witness to this truth. God, make us into evangelists who announce the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ and teach us to be witnesses. Teach us that we don't have to be judges and we're not being asked to be attorneys. We just get to bear witness to your goodness and grace and glory in our lives. Let us know that that is enough and give us the strength to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.